fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? Health Radio, and thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Dr. H, Dr. Henry Ely. You all know me by now, I think, but I do appreciate you inviting some more friends and telling people about the show and bringing it on. Folks, we have some great, great stuff. Oh, my goodness. Today, we have a fantastic special guest, uh, Keith Wilkins, the uh, author of Political Moonshine. Uh, this is a guy that is just a good dude with a incessant and relentless ability to research and write. He's published over 350 um, items. He helps uh, legal teams all around the country. Uh, He's one of our foremost experts on uh, RICO as it pertains to COVID. And he's got a lot to share today with you about um, racketeering and the the criminal fraudulent enterprise that is is COVID. So we're really excited to have him on uh, today. Uh, Gonna be just a great, great show. You know, we every day, you know, something happens in our favor. You know, we say, what's good? It's one of my favorite questions to ask. I take myself through 20 questions every morning. And the fourth question is, what's good? Well, what's good today is Thailand. Thailand is being more American than America. And it's kind of, it's great to see. It's like, I just can't wait for it to get to our shores as well. Um, yesterday, Thailand, and this is at the time of recording, of course, but yesterday, uh, Thailand did something very interesting. Uh, Thailand, um, the Royal family said, Pfizer, we aren't paying you squat because you lied, you committed fraud. Now folks, I got to bring this back. You know, when, when Pfizer, um, published their clinical trial results in the New England Journal of Medicine. We have to think back, right? Let's think back to December, 2020, that crazy time when they were saying, oh, this new rapidly warp speeded shot, this this damn shot, right? 95% efficacy, meaning that it prevents infection in 95% of trial subjects. Never mind that that was relative risk reduction and not absolute risk reduction, which was under 1.2%, according to the British Medical Journal, when they finally analyzed everything. Never mind that there was no independent analysis on this. Never mind that Pfizer submitted fraudulent data to the FDA and the FDA rubber stamped that fraudulent data for an EUA approval. Never mind that they tried to use that rubber stamp of an EUA approval to conduct the largest human experiment in biological history. Never mind that 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 damn shot didn't prevent a damn thing. Never mind that that damn shot has injured millions of people in this country by the lowest estimates, by the lowest estimates of injuries. We're looking at 12 million Americans injured by the shot. Never mind that this damn shot has killed thousands of Americans. Never mind all of that, because what, what, what was it funded with? That's right. 
This is what political moonshine Keith is going to share with us was funded by American taxpayer dollars. All of this fraud, the fraud of the death certificates, the fraud of the PCR test, the fraud of the asymptomatic trans, uh, transmission, that nonsense, the fraud of masks working. No, they never did. The, the fraud of the shots working. No, they never did unless working meant to injure and kill Americans. Right. Folks, this has been fraud all over the place. The most rampant, most abusive, most destructive fraud in our country's history has been going on. And of course, by the one of the companies, Pfizer, that paid the largest settlement for fraud, $2.3 billion to the Department of Justice for one of their other medications that they lied about. When people show you who they are, you have to believe them. Pfizer has shown us over and over and over again that they are liars, that they are fraudsters. It's beyond time not only to believe them, but to prosecute them, to investigate, prosecute them. These are not just small crimes where a couple people got hurt. This is a crime against humanity, and that's what lies do. That's why lies do not become us, in the immortal words of the man in black from The Princess Bride. Lies do not become us. Folks, when we first went into the Pfizer documents, and I, my team wrote a huge uh, peer-reviewed position paper on this, huge. We wrote this way back in March of 21. There were two things that really stood out in the New England Journal of Medicine's publication on the Pfizer trials. The first was that in the final efficacy analysis, 3,861 enrolled participants in the phase two, phase three clinical trial, because they grouped both of those phases together, 3,861 of the 43,998 enrolled participants were not included in the final efficacy analysis. My question was immediately, what happened to those 3,861 enrolled participants? Why weren't they included in the final efficacy analysis? Because that's a significant number that can completely move that 95% relative risk reduction nonsense, right? That's fraud, folks. That's fraud. There isn't one person who has received these damn shots that also received informed consent before receiving the shots, because in order to receive informed consent, the information has to be factually accurate. Well, it can't be factually accurate when you're dropping people out of the damn study because you don't like the results. It can't be factually accurate when, as Brooke Jackson points out, who was overseeing some of the clinical trial sites, that there were massive problems that she notified, alerted the FDA to, and that they never investigated. Why? Because they didn't want to know. This was never about, never, ever about public health. This was about getting mRNA into people's bodies so that they could genetically modify people and start the process of population reduction. That's what this has always been about, control, population reduction, and of course, massive pathological profits. And that's why you lie, because you know you have a product that's crap. 
you know you have a product that is going to hurt people and you want to hide it because there's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of chess moves to take place afterward, like we're seeing with the World Health Organization still trying to vie for power to overrule our constitution. No, not happening. We didn't elect anybody at the World Health Organization, the World Health Assembly, Bill Gates. We didn't elect any of them, Soros, any of them. I'm telling you right now, if you're a billionaire out there, I don't trust you, period. If you're philanthropic, I don't trust you, period, because your idea of philanthropic and my idea of philanthropic are very, very different. I don't consider murdering people for a profit to be philanthropic. What was else? What else was going on in that Pfizer study that everybody and every news outlet was touting as, oh, here's the next great miracle cure. We can go back to our normal lives. You just got to put a needle in your arm. Oh, not one, two. Oh, not two, three. Oh, not three, four. Well, if it works, why do you have to put so many damn needles in the arms? Right? Never heard of that with any shots before. Here's boosters, sure, but they weren't two and three in a year. So what's up? What gives? What gives is it doesn't work. You know, if you followed any of my work on Breakthrough, that I've exposed this crazily well. I was the first person all over them with the breakthrough cases. They're not breakthrough, it's failure. It's vaccine failure, failure to protect. Folks, this is ridiculous what's going on. But Thailand said, yeah, we agree it's ridiculous. We aren't paying you. Well, that's the correct response. I wonder when we are going to get a chance to do that because our government just keeps giving these murderers a blank check. And I am not mincing my words and I'm not being hyperbolic here. I'm calling this what it is. This is a crime against humanity, an unprecedented, which is saying something for world history, an unprecedented crime against humanity. I know I work with the people who are hurt every day and I get more and more every single day. So do most doctors out here working with the communities. More and more people. Why? Because you look anywhere around you, you will find somebody that's hurt. Now, this was the last piece of information. I'll leave you with this because we're going to talk about it as we get into the episode with, uh, with Keith. In that same study that the New England Journal of Medicine published on behalf of Pfizer, re resulting in the clinical trials saying, hey, they're safe and effective. That's the lie we've been told. Safe and effective, safe and effective. Well, in that same study, there were 6,292 enrolled participants pulled out of the final safety analysis. So my question immediately becomes, well, what happened to them? Well, I think the royal family of Thailand is finding out what happened to those 6,292 enrolled participants who were removed because their results would have messed up the data. That's fraud. Those people developed blood clots. Those people developed myocarditis. Those people died in clinical trial. And here's the thing about any clinical trial. One death in the clinical trial is enough to terminate the entire clinical trial. They didn't do that because this was never about public health. This was never about compassion for American citizens. This was about greed, money, control, profit. This was about psychopaths running amok and we got to make sure we check them. We write back with more energetic health radio right after these messages.
Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Check us out at energetichealthinstitute.org. You will be happy you did. If you want to be free, folks, you better know how to take care of your body and your health. The old system is dead. The old way, the pharmaceutical industry way is dead. We encourage you to leave that broken relationship, that abusive relationship, and find a relationship that actually cares about you. And that's what you'll find at the Energetic Health Institute. People with a lot of knowledge who really care about you. Sharing information for the betterment of all. Check us out, energetichealthinstitute.org. You'll be very, very glad that you did. We'll be right back with Keith Wilkins, Political Moonshine, and more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. All right. Welcome back here, everybody. I'm with Political Moonshine, Keith Wilkins. And Keith, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing well, Dr. Ely. How are you? I'm doing good. So now many of you know, uh, Keith has been working on our grand jury team for quite some time, been a really integral part of this. And so what I wanted to bring him on today was really talk about RICO and educate all of us on what RICO is and, and everything so that we can feel comfortable about not only what he's saying, but really the depth of what he's saying, because it is it is just crazy when you start getting into some of the stuff he's been doing. So, Keith, a couple of questions just so we can set you up and make sure people know that they're talking to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, over the last three years, uh, you know, since the school district you were working for, you know, basically put you on leave of absence, you know, for your refusal to take the shot and be masked and all this other bull. Lucky <laughs> that's going on out there. Um, that's one way to put it. Uh, how many hours do you think you've put in in research, supporting um, attorneys, uh, doing your own publications and things like that? How many hours over the last three years do you think you put in on this topic? It, it's awfully difficult to, to qualify that. Uh, it's thousands and thousands of hours um, of really complex, arduous, tedious research and analysis. Um, the, and a lot of it overlays pattern recognition and being able to identify all these layers and components and subcomponents and then put them all together uh, for more comprehensive meaning. Like I, I wouldn't even know how to begin <laughs> calculating that, that, uh, that number, but I can tell you that 
you know, for a couple of months on end, that's all I did for, you know, 18, 18 or so hours a day. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you start extrapolating that, cause I know I did some math on, on mine, especially in 2020. And it was like, you know, I had put in like by the end of the year, over 4,000 hours, you know, just on the preliminary topics in one year. And then, you know, you start putting two and three years together and it's like, yeah, I'm safe to say I'm well over 7,500, 8,000 hours of direct investment in this, you know, it's just, it, right. It, it just becomes this incessant, passionate, almost like, you know, pathological kind of thing that we're doing, pursuing, <laughs> hunting these bastards down. Right. Yeah. Especially if you, if you're already, uh, um, dealing with underlying OCD issues, right? It, it becomes a life. It's like a lifestyle. It, like it's all a lifestyle change. hundred <laughs> so percent. I, I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, you know, your, your calculations are, are probably, you know, pretty close to the amount of time I've put in. I, I mean, I can tell you I've, I've written over 350 nearing 400 articles mm-hmm. uh, on COVID alone. And they're all, you know, academically sourced and cited and, like I said, it's tedious, arduous work. So what we have here, folks, with uh, Political Moonshine, Keith Wilkins, I'm going to keep going by Political Moonshine because I want you to get familiar with that. You can find him at politicalmoonshine.com. Is that correct, Keith? Yes, sir. That's right. Okay. So politicalmoonshine.com, and you can find all of his places uh, on his website. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. You can find him on Telegram. You can find him on Red Voice Media, doing a lot of work there right now. Uh, and you can actually find him in places you may not realize where other people are citing his work. All right. And, uh, you know, in some cases, not giving him credit for it, which always sucks. But, you know, that's the nature of the beast that we're in right now. Uh, and when people are stuck on their own egos and not on the mission. So one of the things um, that I really appreciate about Keith is he's looking at this from a really true follow the money angle. You know, and I think when we follow the money we get into what is really going on here. So Keith, can you, can you help us? I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, look, treat us like we're third graders right now. And then we'll start <laughs> building up some momentum. Right. So first and foremost, RICO, what does RICO stand for? Well, I think it's important for people to understand what I did before I got into education. Um, Please go for it. Yeah. Out of, I came out of college with a criminal justice degree and I got into the private sector and there I was doing, um, I was working for a small independent firm and we were contracted uh, by law firms and insurance companies to investigate matters that were potentially fraudulent. Now, the type of work that I did did not go down the lane of RICO, but you either know how to investigate and document or you don't. Mm-hmm. So really it's the application of an existing skill set uh, work that I did at a high level for five years, just to a new context. And so for me, As soon as this, if people think back, right, they unrolled COVID under the cover of the Western world's primary major holiday season in 2019 going into 2020. That was the first red flag. Why are they announcing this viral outbreak in China at this exact moment while the the Western world is completely distracted with the holiday season? And so for whatever reason, gut instinct, whatever you want to call it, it did not sit well with me. And so started taking my notes, started looking into things. And what, what really pushed me in a particular direction was um, the, the first article that I wrote. And it, it published it, published that article on the 9th of February of 2020 as resting on a bunch of suspicion. And it led me to, and what I was looking at was remdesivir. I wanted to know more about Gilead Sciences 
in remdesivir, the supposed new treatment for which the, uh, the Department of Defense later signed an enormous contract and then which later became a significant part of the, the federal protocol for treatment in hospitals. I wanted to know more about that, that particular uh, company. And so I started following, following those threads and it led me immediately to George Soros. And then that led me to Bill Gates. And then at that point in time, the onion just started to unravel and it didn't matter where I looked or how I looked. Once I, once I started, you know, establishing these vectors, it's so layered and so complex and so convoluted, like there's still a bunch of work that needs to be done, but it became very easy to start piecing this all together. And really the very first bit of evidence that led me <laughs> to believe <laughs> There's the dog. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Um, if we have sirens, he's going to chime in. <laughs> um, so the very first bit of evidence that's in your wheelhouse. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I, I actually cited some of your work very early on, well before I knew you, not knowing it until after the fact. Um, but I found what is a hallmark indicator of fraud. And it was a reverse or an inverse reciprocal relationship between the, um, the outbreak of COVID and the disappearance of pneumonia. And they were hockey stick lines and that inverse relationship, if you flip those hockey sticks over and arranged them, you could lay them on top of one another. It was the same line. And that's when I knew for a fact that my suspicions were validated and that we were dealing with, with, with RICO issues. And what RICO is, it's defined by um, 18 US code chapter 96 it's the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. And they rolled it out in 1970. And essentially it's, it's you know, it's how they fought uh, the mafia, the, the mob. It's how they deal with organized crime. And within that statute are statutes that pertain to fraud. And so what is fraud? Fraud is misrepresenting something typically for financial gain, whereby you present it as one thing, um, in order to benefit or profit from it, when in fact it's actually something else, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you start looking, the, the term that I always use here is enterprise fraud, because we're dealing with a criminal enterprise, right? A criminal enterprise is essentially, you know, two or more people who are working um, within a, a construct, a fraudulent construct of their own design to defraud people for for profit or other ulterior objectives. And, and that's what we have here. We have, um, like I keep saying, a, a really layered complex federal apparatus that um, we, you know, extends all the way through contracts signed by the Department of Defense um, that is, it's clearly, it's clearly evidentiary of the fact that we're dealing with massive fraud that has permitted uh, the Commission of Crimes Against Humanity, I think, is probably the the best way to sum it up, and it's all prosecutable under RICO statute. You know, that's what's so interesting to me, um, because you know, we we have something right now, and I do want to get your opinion on it because this is this is relevant today at the time of recording. Uh, Thailand um, apparently there was what a major injury or death in the royal family uh, following uh, administration of the Pfizer, the damn Pfizer shots. I, folks, just, just so you know, I, I want to be clear on this. I've moved in my languaging on this from <laughs> originally experimental biologics, because I'm trying to be polite and nice and everything to, you know, experimental something else I called it. 
And, and, you know, cause that's, that's what it is. It's a biologic, you know, it's a gene modification shot. Right. But I'm just going to just know when I say the damn shots, I am referring specifically to all this COVID crap. All right. It, that it's COVID crap. So it's the damn shots. And, I, and I've had enough of it, of all this, and I've had enough of treating this with kid gloves and, and trying to play nice for people's feelings and hoping that we're going to move the major middle. I can tell you right now, the major middle has moved. Major major middle has moved, and you can witness this in the incredibly low uptake of the people who are eligible for boosters. They don't want them. If the people that fell for this first don't want the damn shots, then what does that tell you? We already had 30 to 40% of Americans who said no in the first place, right? So, you know, you have to understand we got to start calling this what it is. And that's what I love about what Keith is doing. So, Keith, I got to get your opinion on this because it's, uh, and it, it is Thailand, right? Am I, am I saying the right? Uh, country, I, Thailand. Yes, that's okay. Correct. All right. So in Thailand, Thailand did something very interesting. I think it was just yesterday, right? Thailand uh, was upset. Uh, the royal family in Thailand was upset. They said, screw your contracts, Pfizer. What do you think about what they're doing um, or in, in terms of saying, we're not going to honor this contract because the contract we signed was under false pretenses. It was under based upon fraudulent data. What do you say? What do you think about that? Well, I think they're being a lot more American than we Americans are to start. <laughs> you know, it's a country born out of revolution, um, but you wouldn't know it if you examine the last, um, you know, not just years, but a couple of decades. Um, I, I think there's something important to latch onto here. And throughout all of my work, um, and, and, I, and I followed a lot of this through the energy sector, I back um, I think like maybe summer of 2021, I assumed a position that nobody else was talking about. I think that a, a corrupt energy sector has been a vehicle to launder money and to move, uh, it served as a conduit to move money around the globe um, illegally, right? And so in doing that, um, you end up running down a lot of lanes um, that kind of overlap the whole COVID stuff from the standpoint of the public-private interface. And so when you really begin to study all of this, you know, there's really concrete law that stands in the way of, you know, if we want to assume that our federal apparatus is corrupt and, and doing things that ought not to be doing, well, there are ways to circumvent that. And so what they've done is they essentially export those functions to the private sector. And like a good example of that would be to develop social media platforms like Twitter, et cetera, where all of the public dialogue gets funneled there and then once it's there, that private entity can violate the First Amendment and censor people's right to free speech, whereas the government can't, right? So the private-public interface becomes really, really important because that's what, that's what has gone on throughout the entirety of all of this is that that interface has been leveraged. And so when we start to look at Thailand, I look at, I, I look at things for utilitarian value, right? How does this serve a fraudulent construct? Because these people play inside of a box. Once you understand the box um, and you understand the rules, that box permits things into it and excludes things out of it. And it's basically comprised of laws and regulations and statutes. But once you understand that playing field or the box within which they play, it's of their own design. So they've leveraged these laws and regulations, et cetera, in order to accomplish things, right? And where they can't accomplish those things, they export them to the private sector. But the utilitarian value there is that a lot of these things are two-way streets. 
So when we start to look at Thailand pushing back against Pfizer, well, Pfizer's, they're painted into a corner. What is going to be their out? Where, where's the utilitarian value for Pfizer? Well, it becomes that two-way street. If they find themselves boxed in, they've got to play defense. And the best, the best way for them to do that is to push back upstream against the same federal apparatus that co-opted them into this entire construct in terms of the, the manufacturing of these mRNA injections that, that didn't qualify as a vaccine by any standard legal, legal medical or patent definition until they changed the definition to accommodate that. And so, you know, this perception of, uh, of immunity that these um, vaccine manufacturers perceive that they, that they have, I think there's a loophole there. I think there's a way to pierce the veil of that. And it's found in the Throckmorton Doctrine, which refers to a U.S. Supreme Court case that says that fraud vitiates everything. So we start getting into the granular details of the declaration of a public health emergency that's permitted by Section 319 of the Public Health Service Act, which allows the um, HHS secretary to make a unilateral declaration um, that an emergency exists. And so if the data informing that decision process is fraudulent, right, we have a fraudulent predication for an emergency. It was the emergency use authorization that permitted the manufacturing and the administration of these vaccines that didn't qualify as vaccines. And so now you have this private entity in Pfizer and now they're being hung out to dry by a, by a sovereign state, right? A sovereign country. And there's, there's pushback there. They've got to play defense. And I think the best way for them to do that is to swim back upstream against the federal government. Mm-hmm. And so the utilitarian value there is that, that public-private interface being a two-way street. It was leveraged as a part of the construction of this box that these people play in, and mm-hmm. it can be leveraged back against them. See that, and I, I love what you're saying with that because it, it makes logical sense. Especially if Thailand becomes the first, if Thailand becomes the first, and the re- and other countries leave Thailand hanging out there pissing in the wind, then we might have you know some end around that Pfizer can pull off with the help of the U.S. government, or try to cut some sweetheart deal on the back end, or even worse, just try to misappropriate more U.S. taxpayer funds. Let me give everybody the number right now. And Keith, I know this number has grown since there's been extended emergency declarations. But last uh, last February, when um, Keith did uh, the majority of work on uh, for our grand jury team in terms of, uh, of money, we're following the money, how much money was misappropriated. When we filed in February of 2022 in, the, um, in federal court, our grand jury petition um, with the great support of Senator Dennis Linthicum, Senator Kim Thatcher, and the assistance of uh, attorney Steve Jonkis. What we did was um, Keith found, what was it? $3.5 trillion at least in misappropriated U.S. taxpayer funds uh, relative to COVID. Was that right, Keith, at that number that you had come to? That, yes, off the top of my head, yes. All right. Now, of course, it's been a year since that, since we filed. So we've had at least two that I can think of, two extensions of the emergency declaration. We've had at least uh, an additional purchase of the quadrivalent or the bivalent or whatever the F they're calling it. Um, So we're talking about, we're talking about, um, I think it was like $500 billion 
at last you know check that uh, that they had added on. So, folks, we're talking in the neighborhood of over four trillion dollars U.S. taxpayer funds misappropriated for a bioengineered weapon that has a 99.99999% recovery rate in people with a vitamin D level above 50 nanograms per milliliter. And when we come back, Keith, what I want to do is I want to get into your top talking points um, today. You know, like what are the things that you want audiences especially to know about what your research has been uncovering recently? Because you've been Frank, and I mean, 350 plus publications on top of the support you're doing for legal teams around the country. Uh, you know, I mean, look, folks, this dude knows what he's talking about. But I, I, when we come back, I also want to start with just let's talk about the fraud that we unearthed in 2021 in the clinical trials, the primary clinical trials for Pfizer, because I think that's where I want to begin with this. So, folks, we'll be right back with Political Moonshine, Keith, <laughs> right after these messages. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right. Aloha and welcome back, everyone. I'm here again with Keith of Political Moonshine and everybody. Uh, we had left off talking a little bit about fraud and how this all went down. So uh, we're going to let, let me take you on a quick trip down a bad memory lane here. Uh, in March of 2020, the CDC and the NVSS changed how death certificates are reported. This is the substance of the fraud here in terms of uh, in terms of death counts and things like that. They change how death certificates are reported, but they did so illegally. They did so in violation of the Information Quality Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Administrative Procedures Act, and that they did not inform the Federal Register of these changes, and they did not open up public comment for people to talk about these changes and the damage that these obvious changes would do. 
Instead, it was just put COVID on the death certificate. We're going to, we aren't going to remember Burks was saying, we're not going to miss one COVID case. Well, yeah, you're not going to miss one COVID case because you're going to call everything COVID, right? Person falls off a ladder and dies. It's COVID. Person gets hit by a bus. It's COVID. Person has, you know, a kidney fail. It's COVID. So, you know, it, it's, it was ridiculous on its supposition, but it was illegal. And I think that was the big thing. So that starts getting them in the numbers. Cause remember, you can't have a public health emergency without a lot of death. So how do you get a lot of deaths? Manipulate the death certificate. Then we see a couple of weeks later, the CDC adopts the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists position statement on what constitutes a COVID case. Well, who is this Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists? A nonprofit organization heavily funded by Bill and Melinda Gates and the vaccine industry. And what they end up doing is coming up with a stupid definition for what can constitute COVID, all you had to do was cough once and your doctor could legitimately say that you had COVID. You didn't even have to have a positive test. And we all know that the tests are garbage and asymptomatic transmission isn't a thing. Well, folks, let me take you into this real quick. In May of, oh no, excuse me, March of 2021, my team finished our second major paper. The second major paper, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but the second major paper is 444 pages long, folks. And that paper has a section in it on the Pfizer clinical trials, because by this time, the EUA had been approved, even though it should have never been approved. And there's a couple of points here, Keith, I want to make and then, just, and then get your thoughts on, on the fraud in the actual trials, because we knew that the trials were fraudulent the moment that the New England Journal of Medicine published them. So let me read a couple of things off here from our, our, our paper. This is, again, back to uh, March of 2021, folks. So after only a couple of months, we already knew that over 1,739 people had died at the very least, and that uh, over 38,000 people had experienced severe adverse events uh, following getting the shots. Remember, this is only when, this is when it was, they were only approved for people over 65 years of age, and this was in the initial rollout. The thing that was really concerning for me when I was reading through the clinical trials, though, uh, Keith, was that in phase one of the clinical trials, there were only 45 participants. In phase two, three, there were 43,998 participants. But as we know from Brooke Jackson, those, uh, many of those clinical trial participants were, or those clinical trial sites were done um, in very poor conditions. And there was a lot of violations to what the actual clinical trial was, right? And so you can go check out Brooke Jackson's work. What was interesting to me was that when we went through the uh, data published by the New England Journal of Medicine on the Pfizer, uh, the damn Pfizer shots, these two facts, Keith, that there were 3,861 enrolled participants in the study that were not included in the final efficacy analysis where they got to their BS 95%, you know, nonsense. That to me, right off the bat was a question. What happened to those 3,861 people? You know, because if those people got sick, that dramatically changes the final efficacy, right? But then the one that really stuck out was that in that same New England Journal of Medicine publication on the results there of the clinical trial, 6,292 enrolled participants were not included in the final safety analysis. So my question becomes 6,292 6, people, what happened to them? Did they die? 
Were they severely injured? Why were they removed from the final analysis of safety? And when we contacted Pfizer to get that information, they ghosted us. So we have a lot of fraud going on here to unpack in that. I want to give you the mic to go over what are you seeing in that? I know you had some important dates in April of 2020 that you wanted to share as well. What are your thoughts about that as potential fraudulent data? I think the first thing people have to understand is that there are really two primary lanes of, of enterprise fraud being conducted here. There's the enterprise fraud to predicate a a fraudulent public health emergency, right? And then that establishes a narrative. So you've got enterprise fraud to establish a, a narrative that there's a pandemic. And then you have the introduction of these mRNA injections that we know for a fact are causing widespread injury and death, right? And so this, the second primary lane of enterprise fraud um, is the covering up of those injuries and deaths. And so those two things alone encompass a wide spectrum of work. Back to the mid-April of 2020 timeline. Um, and this is, this, is actually, this is before I knew you. This is one of the most important things that I discovered in all of the work. And, and really what it comes down to is this, this apples to apples um, component. When I say apples to apples, if you're committing fraud and you want to portray something as something different, right? So for example, um, we know that they were, I, I branded these things as, as data harvesting reservoirs. And there were three primary data harvesting reservoirs that, that I identified at the time. One of them was the ICD-10 coding manual. The second was the National Vital Statistics Systems um, diagnostic memos. The third was the PCR test, right? So those three things were mechanisms to generate data. And so there, they, there's an introduction of this SARS-CoV-2 virus. And when you look at the virus and its symptoms, and I'm looking at this virus as what is the utilitarian value? What does it look like? How does it function? Um, how is it being described? How are people going to understand it? But when you really look at the, the symptoms of this virus, it's a perfect overlay for what flu and pneumonia is. And then so you come to understand that they can harvest data primarily from flu and pneumonia um, with underlying comorbidities like ob obesity, diabetes, heart disease, right? So those, those five. Um, and then you can make that look and sound just like SARS-CoV-2. And so, you know, when, when I found the, the, the inverse reciprocal relationship back in February into March of 2020, and then on this April of uh, mid-April 2020 timeline, I knew that things were galvanizing and coming together. And what it was for me was this shift away from the gold standard. And you mentioned this, the gold standard measurement for pandemics, which was mortality. And they moved to something that nobody had really heard about or cared about um, up until that point in time, which was new cases. And if you turn on even today, if you turn on your news and they're still reporting on COVID, you don't hear about dead people. You don't hear about mortality, except for the ones that have been killed by the injections and covered up as COVID. You hear about new cases. There are so many new cases of this variant, so many new cases of that variant. And so the critical thing to understand here is at this particular time in mid-April of 2020, when they made the move to new cases, mortality was in decline. 
It was on a downward trajectory. And you can't have a pandemic if people aren't dying. So they didn't have the dead people to substantiate the narrative, hence the move to new cases. And so I started digging into these, um, these primary data harvesting reservoirs. And I, I literally, I broke down the entire ICD-10 coding manual and I went through all the NVSs, NVSS's diagnostic memos. Um, and when you do that, you can unskew the data points and you can find the, the, little, the little places here and the little places there of how they tweak data. And what it comes down to is a two-tiered diagnostic system where you'd have competing diagnoses. And as ridiculous and as outrageous as it sounds, somebody getting hit by a bus, presenting in the ER, and then given um, you know, a, a posthumous <laughs> COVID test after they're already dead and they come back as positive for COVID-19, that two-tiered system allowed, and in many cases, based on the diagnostic memos issued by the NVSS, um, where um, attending physicians were required to prioritize and list COVID as the first diagnosis. And it's that first diagnosis that presents on the death certificate. And then you come to find out that that process was federally incentivized. They were funding it. And so if you're, a, if you're a, um, an ER physician at a federally funded hospital or otherwise, and a patient comes in um, and you have a choice between listing the, the flu or pneumonia as the first diagnosis or, or maybe swapping that out for COVID, there's a $10,000 discrepancy there in federal funding. And then you start to understand that they were, um, they were incentivizing the applications of, of, um, of ventilators at, at $39,000 per application. And so the, the protocols and the, diag the protocols for treatment and the diagnoses being used to justify that treatment were all federally incentivized mm -hmm. towards COVID-19 and away from what they really were which was flu. And if you look, one of the things that I found early about the same timeline, the highest measurement for mortality for the, for flu and pneumonia um, is 61,000 um, Americans, right? And the CDC starts flu season every December 1st, and they run it for two months. They have for a long time. And so you know, they take those measurements. So 61,000 is the high side. So I dug into some data and I took I found all the little places, you know, through the ICD-10 and NVSS, and I unskewed that data and came up with some basic calculations based on percentages. And do you know what happens if you take um, the data at that time and you can find it on the website? It, if you unskew those data points, we're not even close to having a pandemic in mid-April of 2020. It was something like 32,000 deaths, which would park the COVID-19 pandemic right smack dab in the middle of conventional flu and pneumonia season. And all of this people that they said died of COVID-19, those people were going to die anyways because they had flu and pneumonia. And that roughly 32,000 people is essentially the median value for flu and pneumonia mortality mm -hmm. every year. Particularly when we're dealing, just to clarify, particularly when we're dealing with people with pre-existing conditions and at advanced age, you know, that's, that's Correct. what happens. I mean, it, and what they've always used for flu and pneumonia is they, they don't call flu or pneumonia the cause of the death. They call it the initiating factor for the death. What is the cause of death is always the oldest pre-existing condition. And that was true for everything and has always been true for everything except for 
COVID. When COVID comes in, now COVID becomes the cause of death when it's on the death certificate, even if it's the initiating factor. And that's something that is that we've been, we proved in our peer-reviewed paper we published in October, Dr. 2020. Ely. So bringing it back in, um, <clears throat> what, we're, what we're really talking about here are, like you said, Keith, two, two lanes, right? There's the data fraud to justify the pandemic, to justify the fear and the lockdowns. And then we have, and that's CDC and NBSS manipulating death certificates and PCR testing and manipulating ICD-10 codes and all of that stuff. And then we have the fraud of the actual shots, the fraud of you know what happened to the people who were in the clinical trials that you removed for the safety analysis, that you removed for the efficacy analysis, what happened to them? Because if those people are removed, that dramatically changes those percentages. And maybe if you include those people, the, the even though the bar for approval for EUA is very low, maybe they don't even reach that threshold. And I think what we've seen subsequently with how many people are injured by the shots and how many people are, have gotten the shots and still gotten COVID anyway, still had to be hospitalized anyway, still died anyway. I think what we're seeing is, is that this is clearly massive amount of fraud. And that's what Thailand is talking about now and saying, hey, you know, you injured somebody, you're injuring people. We didn't pay for that. We're not paying you. You know, um, Keith, I, I think what we're coming to here is this, this reality that, you know, folks like you have been on this case for three straight years, you know, relentlessly. And what, what you have found is now being confirmed over and over and over again. I know Dr. Naomi Wolf's team has confirmed independently uh, what, what we've all uh, confirmed as well. We're all starting to see the same things. So here's what I want to get from you. We have, about, uh, we have about five, seven minutes left or so, about five minutes uh, in there. I want you in, to tell us you know, what... What do, you, what do you wish every American knew based upon all the research that you've been putting together? And I know you had another timeline or some things that you wanted to share with us, but what, what do you wish every American knew that you've unearthed? I wish they knew their history. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, one of the most important um, tools that I use are, are timelines and overlays. And in particular, overlaying timelines because you can stack things up, calibrate them by time, and then basically like punch a hole through them and look down through them. And you can gain a lot of meaning there. Um, in fact, I've put together a, a timeline that's on the website. It, it's the article that's pinned at the top of the site. And, you know, if people really want to take a, a stroll through the history of this, it, it presents as like quick uptake. You can start to see how things come together and shape up. But for me, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get into the, the, the politics of this, but they, they do bear it down a little bit. Um, but back in 1988, there's, um, there's an act passed called the, the Stafford Act, right? And in short, what the Stafford Act does is it, it sets forth the groundwork for how the United States would respond to some type of a, um, an emergency situation, um, and what continuity of government would look like. And then when you start boring down into continuity of government, you start identifying all of the agencies and departments and the umbrella agencies that, um, from which all of those components and subcomponents come off of, there's, a, there's an entire architecture there. And, and really, um, 
when you when you want to understand this box that I refer to that these people play inside of, this is this is the beginning of the box, right? And so when you understand how continuity continuity of government begins to play out, um, as based on a, the declaration of a of a public health emergency, the Stafford Act, um, when you factor in an emergency situation, there's a legal term that bears down on the Stafford Act, and it's called presidential competence. And, and, and if, if your, your audience wants to understand how this entire thing was built, that's the focal point. It's like the single point around which the rest of it was constructed. And it, it essentially works like this. At any point in time that the scope of an emergency exceeds the scope of the president's actual competence, his knowledge base, um, whatever it may be, then he is compelled to defer to his experts, his field experts. And in the case of, uh, of a pandemic, it's a perfect, unless you've elected a virologist or an epidemiologist as your president, a, <laughs> a pandemic construct is the perfect cover if you wanted to usurp the president's Article II executive authority. Because typically speaking, the president is not going to have the scope of competence that you need in order to effectively navigate through such, a, such an emergency. And so he is compelled by law to then defer to his experts. And it just so happens to be that the experts to which he is compelled to defer are the criminal enterprise. So they built this entire thing around him. And, and the, the political side of it would be that the enforcement mechanism for this would be the 25th Amendment. And, and really, that's how I got into all of this. I started out as, you know, as a high school social studies teacher. So I was kind of piddling around on a blog not called Political Moonshine. Nobody read it. Um, but I, was, I, you know, I enjoyed the, the political side of it. But the pretext, for, um, the pretext to remove President Trump uh, with the 25th Amendment, it, it preceded the pandemic by a while. And so pretext becomes really important, right? If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you start identifying pretexts in the present. And if you're astute and you've got that skill set, like with really clear accuracy, you can actually predict what's going to happen in the future. I have done that over and over and over on my website. And so, so what we're looking at is a situation where um, where that's how this entire construct was built. It was built around this notion of presidential competence and virology and epidemiology and a pandemic exceeding the president's competence, him being legally compelled to defer to his experts, and then those experts being disingenuous and quite frankly treasonous, they, they functionally usurped his Article II uh, executive authority and then leverage continuity of government protocols, regulations, and laws to steer the country in the way of the status quo. This is, this is it's mind blowing. And I, I like that what you said, you know, you got to look at, at history. I mean, we, we go back a little bit further uh, that, you know, we go not, you see this happening 1986 national childhood vaccine injury act, give the, the damn uh, shot makers, the, the, 
um, you know, protection from civil litigation, right? The only product in the world. 1988, Stafford Act. Go a little bit, fast forward a little bit more, early 2000s, the definition, the statistical definition of a a pandemic uh, being something that results in a 3% across the board indiscriminate mortality rate gets removed and it becomes this amorphous because we said so nonsense. You know, you fast forward a little bit more, you get into the US Cures Act that Obama signs into a law in the 11th hour of his presidency saying during a time of emergency, you can rapidly get solutions to market um, without it going through clinical trials, you know, without going through the rigorousness and the safe for safety and for e- efficacy, because there is a need. And, and so what do they do with that? They say, well, the goal is to get the shots to the market. So what we're going to do is suppress all conversation about early treatment. You're going to see Dr. Chang's work in Wuhan epicenter on vitamin C, intravenous vitamin C, get get deplatformed by and deleted by YouTube. You're going to see um, ivermectin get just completely um, just vilified for no reason. You're going to see so many things going on. And when you see these things going on, what's really, really important is to understand, like you're saying, Keith, the setup occurred a long time ago. The setup occurred a long time ago. Um, and that's what makes this an enterprise. It makes this enterprise RICO fraud. This is a this is a criminal enterprise. So Keith, uh, you can check out Keith. Uh, go to politicalmoonshine.com. That's politicalmoonshine.com. Check out all of the places where he has a voice: Red Voice Media, Telegram, Twitter, and get into his stuff, folks, because he lays out how all of this comes together. He lays out by following the money. That's where you're going to always find the truth. Even if you don't like the answer, you will find the truth when you follow the money. All right. That's all the time we have today on Energetic Health Radio. It is an honor to be here with you, everyone. Remember, in this battle, in this fight that we have, that we're going to win, we have four very unique challenges. To take no offense, to speak truth, to be selfless, and to remain humble. May God shine his divine light down upon us all, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. I'm Dr. H for the Energetic Health Institute and Energetic Health Radio, and I wish you a very good day wherever you may be. Aloha and adios. Adios.